Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. Thus the exiles of Numenor established their realms in Arnor and in Gondor. But ere many years had passed, it became manifest that their enemy, Sauron, had also returned. He came in secret, as has been told, to his ancient kingdom of Mordor, beyond the Ethel Dueth, the mountains of shadow, and that country marched with Gondor upon the east. There above the valley of Gorgoroth was built his fortress vast and strong, Barad-dûr, the dark tower. And there was a fiery mountain in that land that the elves named Orodruin. Indeed, for that reason, Sauron had set there his dwelling long before. For he used the fire that welled there from the heart of the earth in his sorceries and in his forging. And in the midst of the land of Mordor, he had fashioned the ruling ring.
So in this section of the Silmarillion, we get the story of the founding of the Last Alliance. And it begins with Sauron retreating back to Mordor, like you heard in the intro. And not only does he return to this land that he has secretly been using for a very long time and forging the ruling ring, the one at Mount Doom, but he also creates for himself a new shape. Remember, this goes back to the flooding and the destruction of Numenor, where he went down with the island also. And from that moment on, he was no longer able to create for himself a fair semblance, a fair visage. So what he did create was dark and terrible. It says here that now he brooded in the dark until he had wrought for himself a new shape. And that word wrought comes up again in this passage as if he's crafting for himself what his physical form will look like. And then we find out that it was terrible. He took up the great ring and then this quote, he clothed himself in power. It doesn't say he put on lots of metal armor and sharp or dangerous weapons. He clothed himself in power. And I don't know what that looks like, but it sounds really, really intimidating. And then for what might be the first time in any of the stories, we get this. And the malice of the eye of Sauron, few even of the great among elves and men could endure. The first mention of the eye of Sauron. And it is capitalized, capital E. And of course, the first thing we think of when we think of the eye of Sauron is the movies. The big giant eye on top of Baradur, the fortress. But that's not exactly what Tolkien, I think, was trying to say here. I think what he was trying to say is the actual eyes of Sauron himself, or more specifically, his gaze, the active act of looking at somebody. Sauron himself was so powerful and so threatening, so terrible and menacing that few could even withstand his gaze if you were to meet him face to face. And it's from this moment, this very moment where he returns back to Mordor, that he begins again preparing for war. And remember, he sent his armies up against the Numenorians, and he realized that they were not a match. And now what he has left are the elves, and we discussed how the elves had spread out through the lands and kind of taken things back for themselves. And then the faithful, those seem to be the major threats he has here. Maybe he's considering the dwarves, but probably not so much. But we know that he uses this time to prepare his armies and they're not just orcs. And in doing this, the fires of the mountain are awakened again. 
it says in the text. And the smoke goes up in the air and everyone can tell that Sauron has returned. And it doesn't state it here, but why would he be reigniting the fires of the mountain? Maybe for making weapons and armor, siegecraft. And it's at this time that the remnants of the Numenorians, the faithful, give this mountain its new name, Amon Amarth, which means Mount Doom. And so Sauron starts to bring together other forces that weren't already in this land. And you're going to start noticing some parallels here. This starts to feel a lot like the end of the Third Age, where Sauron goes through much of the same steps. He brings to him servants out of the east and the south. Men. Men who have been corrupted, who have lived in his darkness and serve him. And this specifically includes, in this time, Numenorians. Those Numenorians who were still not faithful to the Valar, but faithful to him who had left the island and had been settling the coasts to the south. So when you think of the Battle of the Last Alliance, because that's where this is going, realize that the faithful of the Numenorians who are fighting for the free peoples end up fighting against people they probably knew, people from their homeland. This is as much a battle between the free peoples and Sauron as it is a civil war between those Numenorians who are still alive. And we're told a little bit more about these dark Numenorians. It says here, therefore, many of those who sailed east in that time and made fortresses and dwellings upon the coasts were already bent to his will, and they served him still gladly in Middle-earth. But there's some hope here. It says, but because of the power of Gilgalad, these renegades, lords both mighty and evil, for the most part, took up their abodes in the Southlands far away. They were kept out of the parts of Middle-earth that we're more familiar with from the Lord of the Rings stories because of the expanse of the elves, the power of Gilgalad. And then we're given two names, which is really interesting here because I don't believe they come up again almost anywhere. Uh, I'd have to dig in a little bit further to find out, but we're given two names. Yet there were two, Herumor and Finur, who rose to power among the, among the Herodrim, the Herodrim are a people group. We hear about them in the Third Age, in the Lord of the Rings. A great and cruel people that dwelt in the wide lands south of Mordor, beyond the mouths of Anduin. So we know at least two of these Numenorians end up leading some of the Herodrim themselves, even though they're from a different land. We can call these the Dark Numenorians, as sometimes they are labeled. Now, when Sauron realized what was going on with the Gondorians encroaching on the sides of the mountains of Mordor, and he had enough time to rebuild some of his forces, he pushed back. He took Minas Ithil, and he destroyed the White Tree that Isildur 
had planted there. And this document is very short on details. It's thought that maybe the Witch King himself was involved in the conflict. Because he ends up lording over Minas Morgul, which becomes named later. But we find out that there is a happy tiding here. Isildur and his wife and his sons escape down the river with a seedling of the tree. Remember the whole descending of trees and on trees on trees, turtles all the way down. Uh, this seedling is the one that he brings back to Minas Tirith that we see in the movies and in the story of the Lord of the Rings. And fortunately, Osgiliath holds out against the enemy, the main city, the capital city on the river. And uh, Anarion is able to amass forces there in order to keep Sauron at bay, at least for a time. So if you picture what's going on here, we have Sauron amassing his power again, pulling to him these forces from the east and the south, much like in the Lord of the Rings. And the only ones who are there close enough to stand against him during all of this are the Gondorians. They lose Minas Ithil. They fight at Osgiliath. It's very similar to what's happening in the Lord of the Rings, except in this case... They have the elves at their back, and they have the kingdom of Arnor at their back. They're further away, but they're willing to help out. It's a different kind of situation in a different age, but with similar story beats. And we're going to get into that when we get back from the mid-break, so don't go anywhere. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, here we are in the middle of the show. This is where I get to thank all of my patrons, all of the wonderful people who help make this podcast possible. Thank you to all of you for your support and shout outs to our newest patrons, including Thomas R., Aragorn III, Carrie, and Stuart. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the group. I hope you are enjoying everything that you're getting, the ad-free episodes. If you're getting uh, t-shirts or, you know, all the extra bonus episodes, all that stuff. Uh, thank you for your support. And we have to shout out our VIP patrons. Let's see how fast I can get through this list. We've got AK Music Lover, Anakin Skywalker, Austin C, Azel Razzle, Bo, Black Squirrel, Brandy D, Chewbacca, Cutter Metal Works, Aragorn the Third, David S, David M, Drupal, Esoteric Rage, Fulcrum, Gavin Alaf, Gemma D, Jesse P, Jesus is Alive, Katie S, or I'm sorry, Katie L. I messed that up. Then Katie S. Capenna, Larry, Lori B, Nick K, Nick L, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Peace Lutheran Church, Ludic Alberta. Wow, very specific name on that one. Uh, Sam B, Swiggy Swoo, TJT, Tour Son of Whore, T- uh, Tyler M, and Who Let the Juan Out. Thank you so much to all of you. Thank you for being here and for your support. And if you're interested in joining everybody here, head over to patreon.com slash L-O-T-R, Lorecast, Lord of the Rings, L-O-T-R, Lorecast, and go check everything out. Also, we got a new review in, and just a reminder, if you leave a five-star review, we will read it out on a future episode. This one comes from Maddie Brown, 88M in the United States, who writes, Bilbo Swaggins, you are the man. Thank you for doing the podcast, and my family and I thank you. Well, thank you so much, Maddie, for, for leaving that. Bilbo Swaggins, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> if you'd like to help out the show in other ways, rating the show on Spotify, uh, telling your friends and your family, any of that stuff. All of it is extremely helpful. And I've mentioned this so many times. Shows like this cannot exist without support from the audience and from you. And so thank you for everything you do to keep this going. It means the world to me. This is my career and I couldn't do it without you. All right, let's move on with the rest of the show. So we finally get the story of the Last Alliance here. And it begins with a conversation between Elendil and Gilgalad. And remember, they're up in the north, kind of the center and northern area of the Middle-earth map that we're familiar with. 
and were told that they perceived that Sauron would grow too strong and would overcome all of his enemies one by one. Similar words, right? This is a similar motif from what happens at the end of the Third Age and why Gandalf is trying to bring everybody together. And so they know they need to unite against him. And so they create a league, as it's called, called the Last Alliance. And they begin this march across Middle-earth, gathering this host, pulling together elves and men from all the lands that they pass through. And as they've moved their way down from the north and from the east across the map, they take a rest and a break in a place that we would find very familiar. Imlidris, or Rivendell. Quote, It is said that the host that was there assembled was fairer and more splendid in arms than any that has since been seen in Middle-earth, and none greater has been mustered since the host of the Valar went against Thangorodrim. This is a moment in time that is reflecting moments from the past, the end of the First Age, and a very similar situation where elves and men and dwarves and hobbits gathered at Rivendell at the end of the Third Age. Imagine being in Elrond's shoes when this happens at the end of the Third Age. And he has memories from 3,000 years before when the Last Alliance stayed at his home, met together, and planned how they were going to counter Sauron. And at this point in the Second Age, there are way more soldiers, way more arms to hold against him than when this happens again 3,000 years later. What they send from Imladris is an army, an army larger and more fair than anyone has seen since the end of the First Age. What they send from this location at the end of the Third Age is a fellowship. Seven individuals. Those odds are much more dire. And the path that these armies leave and travel is very similar to the path that the fellowship follows. They cross the Misty Mountains. It doesn't say how, but it says by many passes and marched down the river Anduin. It doesn't, we don't know specifically the pass they took if they tried to take exactly the same pass, although I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt that that's actually the path they took, which is part of why Gandalf knew that journey. They didn't have to go through Moria, but they were joined on the other side by some of the dwarves from Moria. And we're told this, they came at last upon the host of Sauron on Daggerlad, the battle plain, which lies before the gate of the Black Land. All living things were divided in that day. And he's not just talking men divided against men, dwarves divided against dwarves. All living things, the animals that these armies were using themselves, were split. Some of every kind, even of beasts and birds, were found in either host, save 
the elves only. There were no elves on Sauron's side. They alone were undivided and followed Gilgalad. Of the dwarves, few fought upon either side, but the kindred of Durin of Moria fought against Sauron. And this is where the fight occurs. And unfortunately, we don't get any descriptions in very specific detail. We just get this overview. The text itself says here in the very next sentence, the host of Gilgalad and Elendil had the victory for the might of the elves was still great in those days. And the Numenorians were strong and tall. Again, mentioning how tall they are. This is another one of those motifs that we talked about really early on about those who were wiser and fairer were also taller and terrible in their wrath. And even though we don't get a play-by-play exact description about what happened at this specific battle, we're given a little bit more detail about some other interesting things. We know what weapon Gilgalad was using. The spear called Aglos, A-E-G-L-O-S, and none could stand against it. Aglos translates to snow point or possibly icicle. And then we're given a description about a weapon that we're more familiar with. The sword of Elendil filled orcs and men with fear, for it shone with the light of the sun and the moon. And it was named Narsil. This is the sword that Aragorn reforges in order to reclaim the kingship. And Narsil itself means red and white flame. It represents the sun and the moon, which is interesting because we keep following this uh, story of the trees and the descendants of the trees and the trees of Valinor and all of that. What was created after the trees were destroyed? The sun and the moon. They represent not just starlight, but light. A kind of light that, especially with the sun, that the orcs, the forces of darkness, don't dare go out underneath. The sword represents that. But this isn't the end of the story. This isn't actually the last battle if you think of it this way. In the movies, we see it all as one big battle and certain people are killed and then the ring is cut from the Sauron's finger. In this situation, this was the battle in front of the gate and the free peoples were victorious here. But there was still the gate. There were still the fortresses. The stronghold of Sauron was still intact. And like any medieval conflict, the attacking army needed to siege the people inside the fortress or behind the walls. That requires keeping men surrounding the structure in order to reduce the in and out, the trade, the, the uh, transportation of food, water if possible. And this siege lasts, get this, for seven years. And seven is one of those numbers that comes up in mythology. It's typically seen as a good number, represents something like completion or wholeness or just good luck. 
seven years. And this is suffering for both sides. The people who, of course, are being sieged are reduced to having to live within a very small area. They have less food to eat. Hopefully, eventually, the sieging army starves them out and they're able to use that pressure in order to enter the city or the fortress. But it's suffering on both sides. The army that has to stand against that fortress is going to be inundated with occasional skirmishes, uh, arrows, things thrown from the walls. That army during that seven years is going to be trying to find a way, a breach of some sort into the fortress in order to end the siege. And so people suffer on both sides. But eventually, after seven years, we find out that it was too much. Sauron had to come forth. And in the midst of this final siege, we learn this. There in the valley of Gorgoroth, Anarion, son of Elendil, was slain, and many others. But at the last siege, it was so straight. And the word straight here means causing distress, not as in narrow, but distressful, that Sauron himself came forth, and he wrestled with Gilgalad and Elendil, and they both were slain. Both of them. We see Elendil die in the movie. Gilgalad as well. Sauron steps out himself and takes on the two most important and maybe most powerful individuals for both of these armies, the army of the elves and the armies of men, and takes them down. And the sword of Elendil broke under him as he fell. And this is the part that we all know. But Sauron also was thrown down, and with the hilt shard of Narsil, Isildur cut the ruling ring from the hand of Sauron and took it for his own. Then Sauron was for that time vanquished, and he forsook his body, and his spirit fled far away and hid in wasted places, and he took no visible shape again for many long years. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.